Welcome to the Growth Equation Podcast. We're your hosts, Brad Stahlberg and Steve Magnus. Brad, what's going on, my friend? Bro Jogan, signing in to record our podcast today. How you doing, Steve Peterson? I'm doing great. Although I don't know about these nicknames, but... Steven Peterson. I'm Bro Jogan, you're Steven Peterson. Got it. Well, in that case, this is going to be a long, meandering, pseudo, you know, pseudo intellectual conspiracy laden podcast. Well, what is a conspiracy? How do you define conspiracy? Well, you see, a conspiracy is everything because it's part of the world and everything in the world is a conspiracy because what do we know about truth? What is truth? I can't define truth. Can you define truth? You can't. Therefore, everything is everything and nothing all at once. Reminds me of something this guy said. Um, What's his name? Dr. Um, Let me look it up. Oh, yeah. Dr. Smoltz. Dr. No, not Dr. Smoltz. Dr. Solms. And um, the theory of other minds. We only know what's in our minds. So how can there possibly be anything objective? Well, here we are, another Wednesday, another episode of the Growth Equation Podcast. We're your real hosts, Brad Stahlberg and Steve Magnus. We were just uh, having some fun to kick off the half hour or so today in which we are going to talk about ambition. And also, we're going to talk about excellence because um, I think that there's a lot of splitting hairs when it gets to the difference between ambition, drive, motivation, excellence. But the, the bigger picture topic that connects those, um, those concepts in those terms is this movement kind of in the zeitgeist around anti-ambition or anti-excellence in that we shouldn't be so ambitious and that people are quitting their jobs and that people shouldn't work so hard. And uh, we feel that a lot of nuance is getting lost. So we're going to try to fill in some of those gaps for you today. All right, so let's jump into this. Brad, I'm going to let you set the stage a little bit on on this because I know you had a thread on this anti-ambition zeitgeist. And maybe if we start there and then we can unpack it as we go. That sounds good. So um, I read uh, an article in the New York Times about two weeks ago that was called The Age of Anti-Ambition. And it basically made the case that people are quitting their jobs in droves and questioning whether or not they should have the sort of drive to be great to begin with. And there's also been a flurry of books and newsletter writers who are arguing against ambition. And of course, the great irony is many of these people are extremely ambitious in their arguing against ambition. So they want their book to be on the New York Times bestseller list. They want their newsletter to have over 100,000 subscribers and so on. So they themselves are demonstrating what from the outside looking in looks like a hell of a lot of ambition, yet their whole message is that nobody should care and nobody should be ambitious, uh, which of course is, is kind of ironic. And I was reading that article that I mentioned in the Times, and I was thinking about some of these more recent books and in, in, in newsletters that are arguing against ambition. And I think that where there's a lot of missing nuance is that, um, well, first off, what do we mean by ambition? And I'm not saying this is like a, a Jordan Peterson joke. Like, I think it's worth defining the term. 
And second off, we need ambitious people. Um, the example that I always give is uh, Kati Kariko, who is the Hungarian immigrant that came to the United States and spent, I don't know, 16, 18 hour days in her lab for 20 years working on mRNA. And because of that, we have these miraculous vaccines. So I'm really glad that she's ambitious. And I'm glad that she wasn't reading newsletters or books telling her to stop trying and that she's working too hard. Um, so it got me thinking that, you know, I don't think the problem is ambition per se. I think the problem is that a lot of people are in bullshit jobs and they are measuring themselves against bullshit metrics and they feel like they are constantly in this game where they need more status. And that's very different than the problem being a drive to be great or a drive to be excellent. Yeah, thanks for that. I, I think what happens is we get these contrarian takes that like seem good superficially, but then upon any sort of, you know, excavation, they just fall apart. And I think this anti-ambition like narrative is one of those 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 stories that seems okay, people are quitting, et cetera, et cetera. We're trying too hard, blah, blah, blah. But the the ins the the issue isn't trying, right? I think the issue is, as you stated, there is we're trying at the wrong things and seeking the wrong items, or you know, it's almost like we have this hole to fill, and our sense of like our basic like psychological needs, and we've decided to fill it with a bunch of stuff that is like bullshit. And because of that, we don't feel like satisfied or content or whatever. And the people you mentioned are screaming from the rooftop saying, ah, you're not satisfied. You're not content. Like we need more contentment. The problem is you're trying when the answer isn't, no, it's not that you're trying that's the problem. It's that, you know, we're trying at things that don't have meaning and don't matter. Right. And I do want to go back to something else that I, I think is really important here. And I'm not just throwing shade for the sake of throwing shade or anything, but so many of the people that are kind of at the forefront of like arguing against ambition seem to be extremely ambitious. They tweet 24-7. They push their articles like crazy. They are constantly promoting their books. No different than anyone else. It's just kind of funny that like the whole argument that they're making is not to do exactly what they're doing. Um, I texted our mutual friend, Cal Newport, about this, and Cal's response was, yeah, it seems like the, like the actual way to be anti-ambitious is to like get a job that's not on the internet and do a good job and work from nine to five and come home. It's not to write you know, pieces for the New York Times and books arguing against the ambition and then trying to get everyone in the world to read it. So um, I really struggle to get by like that, that irony because I feel like there's a skin in the game gap there. Now, I do understand that, listen, if you're a writer, it's your job to make that point. Um, but it just feels like a little bit of projection coming, coming from those folks or those folks saying, hey, like I, I get to be out of this equation because I'm in this ivory tower, but for the rest of you, ambition is a bad thing. Um, and it, it feels like quite um, quite elitist in many ways, too, because a lot of people like they don't have a choice. Like, shit, go tell the person that's like just getting started working a minimum wage job not to be ambitious and they're going to laugh at you. They're going to be like, what other choice do I have? 
Um, so I, I think that that, that really also rubs me, um, rubs me the, the wrong way. We're a little bit all over the place today. I want to define the first term that I said, which is um, bullshit jobs. And this is not a Brad and Steve term. We've talked about this before on the podcast. It's one of our favorite books. It comes from the, um, the late anthropologist David Graeber's book called Bullshit Jobs. And a bullshit job is a job that nobody, were, nobody would notice if it were gone. Perhaps it would make things even better if it were gone. And the people doing the bullshit jobs know that their jobs are bullshit. And Graeber did this big study and found that about 40% of jobs in America are bullshit jobs. So telling someone to be ambitious at a bullshit job is a lot different than telling someone that is a scientist or a physician or an artist that they shouldn't be ambitious. So I think there's a little bit of an apples to oranges thing going on there. Yeah, I mean, it comes down to a little bit of like this utility and meaning, right? It's like... Things are great if you have a a meaningful goal or a meaningful ambition. And and it all it also comes down, you know, I'm going to branch this out into ambition, drive, whatever we call it, but if we look at it, intrinsically motivated people, it basically intrinsic motivation comes from having something that is personally meaningful to you versus extrinsic which is like meaningful because others status outcomes etc things that aren't you know have this intrinsic worth to you and i think that that ties into this a little bit in the sense that if you're doing or occupying a place where you have to do a, a bullshit job for an example that has little meaning little value beyond that it brings a paycheck then your intrinsic drive towards that thing is going to be non-existent right and it's going to be all the extrinsic drive just to keep going at this thing so and we know from decades of research that too much extrinsic drive tends us to push towards like relying on things like status for our sense of self it also can burns you know relatively bright this intrinsic drive for a short time but also leads you to burn out over the long haul so again, if we look at ambition, it's not, hey, don't have ambition. To me, if we kind of combine this nebulous ambition drive world, it's, well, you need the right kind of drive or ambition towards the right kind of things. And if you get that, like have all the ambition in the world, if, if it's you know meaningful and valuable and brings like joy to your life, then go for it. Right. And the problem is not that people are ambitious. It's in our DNA to be ambitious. We had to scavenge to find food to keep our tribe alive way back, you know, when we first became Homo sapiens. The issue is that we need to have more meaningful projects and meaningful work to to channel people in instead of bullshit jobs. Because you're right, being ambitious at a bullshit job sounds terrible, but being ambitious at something that is meaningful and of intrinsic value makes a ton of sense. And I think the other thing that really um, that, that irks a lot of people in today's day and age is when you have jobs that are inherently meaningful, but they get crazily overwhelmed by what I'm going to call bullshit work or bullshit metrics. So same definition as bullshit jobs. These are things that don't make any difference and they might even have the wrong incentives or make things worse. 
And here I'm thinking about all my physicians that I coach. So if y'all are listening, I'm always looking out for you. Being a doctor is one of the most meaningful, like intellectually stimulating, emotionally charged jobs there is. And so many doctors today spend 40% of their time doing stuff that has nothing to do with being a doctor. And as a result, they're burning out. I don't think the, the, the thing to do is to tell them to be less ambitious. The thing to do is to fix the freaking job so they're not jamming away at a computer all day and they're treating patients. You know, you're going to go down the doctor route. I'm going to echo the same sentiment and go down the teacher route because it's it's the exact same thing, right? The solution isn't to tell teachers, hey, stop caring about helping your kids. That'll prevent you from burning out. <laughs> the solution right. is to say, hey, we've loaded you guys with all of this this stuff that does nothing gets in the way of your the actual main thing, which is helping kids learn to read, write, whatever, learn how to do math, grow. And we've let that expand and take over so much that, you know, you're spending most of your time worrying about this other stuff instead of the stuff that actually matters. Yes, 100%. I'm so glad that you brought up teachers because... The reason that you and I can be ambitious and Arthur Brooks can be ambitious and the person that wrote this wonderful article for the New York Times that clearly took a lot of time and effort can be ambitious is because they're doing super fun, interesting, creative work where they don't have nine bosses telling them what to do. They're not having to you know, make these changes on a dime when the curriculum changes or when there's a new electronic medical record. So I think like that's a huge important point is that the answer is not be less ambitious. The answer is let's fix all the bullshit in the economy and then actually free people up to be super ambitious. That's like how innovation happens. And I think that like, you know, we 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 spend a lot of time on this podcast like poking at the right, but I think here's where the left and the right messes up on a lot of things, almost everything. But I think here's where the left messes up on one big thing is like this anti-excellence movement is ass backwards. Like we need excellence. We need to innovate, you know? So I, I, I really, you can see that I'm, I'm irked by, by this. And, and, and again, like to be clear, it's about ambition at meaningful things that make a difference. You know, I, I, me and you have talked about also at length on this podcast, how sometimes we get sucked into like the status relevance route of having a byline and being a writer. But on the whole, I'm glad that we have ambition because if we didn't, we wouldn't have written our books. And I like to believe that our books have helped a lot of people. And at the very least, they've made our lives more interesting. That wouldn't have happened if someone said, like, don't be ambitious. Just, like, find a nine-to-five job and show up and work it. Yeah, you know, there's. it reminds me of this concept. I forget the psychologist who, you know, outlined this or theorized it. But a lot of times in our life, we we tend to focus on happiness, right? And then if we're maybe a little bit wiser we focus on meaningfulness but there's this third concept that again that the scientist is a blank in my mind right now so i apologize for that but they call it psychological richness which is essentially making sure you're having like these rich things in your life these rich experiences interesting experiences like experiences of joy whatever you have whatever have you in terms of pursuits that kind of lead to this idea of wisdom 
Um, which when you combine that with happiness and meaningfulness, like that gives you this kind of triumphant of what, you know, some psychologists might call the good life in, uh, in your own life. Yeah, the psychologists, real quick, Steve, are Shigeru Oshi from the University of Virginia and Aaron Westgate from uh, U Florida. Thanks, man. This is why you're bro Jogan, correcting on the fly, right? <laughs> I got a whole team of producers, starting with Ananda, the dog. He's sleeping on the job instead of fact checking. It's probably exactly what goes on there at the bro Jogan establishment. <laughs> All right, fact checking on the job, but I, I you want I think a cigar, that, Ananda? You want a cigar? <laughs> All right, we're kidding. We're as you can see, we're slowly devolving and losing our minds on this podcast. But, anyways, I I think there's something uh, incredibly valuable to thinking about things in terms of like this richness in addition to meaning and addition to happiness, because it gets at what you just kind of talked about here is that we need like these experiences that bring us this like joy this experience that that bring us this like perspective and diversity of interests and what have you and part of that if you combine it all together is this like pursuit of excellence because like when do you feel most alive it gets back to you know joseph campbell and the idea of like bliss when do you feel most alive well, Joseph Campbell felt most alive when he was like running an 800 meter race. Now, why would that be? Well, part of the reason is, well, there's a slew of emotions and feelings that go around that. But part of it is, man, you are striving to compete and be excellent, right? And yeah. I think I, the I Greeks think called that erite, right? That was like the whole the whole moral goal was to achieve excellence using your natural capacities in unison with the environment around you to have a peak experience that also helped your community. That was like the goal of moral life in ancient Greece. And now the goal is to, um, to not do that. I don't, I don't understand. I think that the problem is that I sound like a freaking broken record. The problem is that people don't have opportunities to do that. And or when they do, we too easily get caught up in kind of like the superficial candy bar version of success, retweet likes that then distracts us from doing the actual important work. And imagine, man, if um, Katie Carrico, I come back to her because it's like the most notable scientific breakthrough of, of our lifetime, probably. Imagine if she would have been on Twitter. Like, seriously, I don't think we would have had the mRNA vaccine. I mean, we might have, but it wouldn't have been from her. So it's like a big problem that I worry about too that we haven't talked about yet is like these super meaningful jobs where you do have freedom, the individual, and this happens to us sometimes, you get sucked into like scoring status points on the internet. And as a result, you don't actually do the meaningful work. Like someone should do that study. My guess is that the quality of research has gone down more than it's gone up thanks to academic Twitter. That's interesting. I know I'm not a good book writer when I'm on Twitter. Like I have to schedule my book writing in cycles when like I'm basically not on Twitter. It's hard to think deeply and do meaningful, innovative work while you're also trying to like score candy points. Yeah, it's interesting. And it's also like it shifts the status game a little bit, right? So if we just we we just assume that humans are humans and we all want or need some sort of status, right? And we're going to dr- strive or get that from somewhere. Well, 
we've just like supplanted our kind of older models to a degree. If we look at the academics, what was the way to get status? You publish a bunch of research that gets cited by a lot of people. And then all of a sudden you're known as, you know, the, the master of whatever very small sliver domain of studying this thing. That's the old model, right? And well, not perfect. It at least took lots of hopefully meaningful work to get there. The new model is like get on Twitter, say some controversial things, or go on a podcast, make huge claims that don't need to be validated, that aren't, don't need to be true even and gain your status from there and become this like academic super celeb. So so it's like, yeah, it's, it's this interesting conundrum because like there's another outlet for this like status or achievement in that field that is not connected to the work at all. Yes. And the, in the more of it that, usurps the work, the more it, it, to me, it's no different than a doctor being tired of electronic medical records is like the writer being tired of feeling like they have to be on Twitter. Maybe in the writer's case, it's a little bit different because like, there's like more of like a love hate relationship with it. Whereas I've never met a doctor that loves documentation, but, um, but it, it, it does, it takes away from the core of the job. So maybe that's a third category, right? So there's like the, the whole job is bullshit job. And the second category is the job is meaningful, a la teacher, doctor, but there's a lot of bullshit metrics and bullshit work that makes the job less meaningful. And then the third category is that there are parts of the job that you don't necessarily have to do, but you, you kind of do to play the game. And those parts of the job are really exhausting and tiresome. Like I've never met a writer or an artist or an athlete that's burnt out doing the thing. They always burn out because of the, th- the, 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 the peripheral things, the getting sponsors, the getting followers, all the stuff around the thing is what tends to be tiring. Yeah. So it, it comes back to how do you do the thing without losing your mind in that, in that regard, right? And, and in this case... Here we're talking about meaningful things, right? Like the doctor, the teacher, or whatever have you. And this is going to vary a lot. But if it's all the external things that drag you away, then that could be, as you said, the bullshit around it that you don't want to do. It could also be the status seeking. It could also be the like external markers of success, which drag you away from doing the thing. But if you're in one of these positions, like how do you keep the main thing, the thing and like focused on that and not dragged away? Yeah, I think that's it. Um, And then that just comes back to like always coming back to the work itself, realizing when that other stuff is getting in the way, trying to automate as much of that other stuff as possible, so on and so forth. Um. And I don't know, like, I don't, I think on this podcast where, you know, maybe Steve, you'll have some like concrete practices or takeaways for listeners. But I think like my magic wand takeaway is instead of writing about anti-ambition, I wish more people would write about like how dumb the fact that we have all these like terrible metrics and jobs and whatnot in society is. Um, 
And ultimately, like in my mind, unless things change, like all roads lead to like a negative income tax or UBI, because if technology truly continues to improve, there's even going to be less of a need for bullshit jobs. And it makes no sense to have someone in a bullshit job because like, this is where I get to pick on the right because some Republican said it's a source of dignity. No, it's not. It's like write that person a check and let them go make cool music. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of these... I think it's if we zoom out culturally, it's just we're at this interesting point in history, right? Where if you go back, gosh, if you go back hundreds of years, you worked to live (laughs) like you worked to obtain food so that you could eat, survive, etc. Like there was a distinct purpose. And then as we've progressed like we've moved into work to kind of, it's like the, we've become more and more detached from the thing, which is the thing used to be satisfy our basic, you know, physiological and psychological needs. And over that kind of historical shift, we, we, we kind of tied our work to fulfilling our sense of meaning, our personal identity, all of those things for whatever reason. But at the same point, we've now entered an era where technology is going to take over more of this stuff. It's going to be, as you said, more and more like kind of meaningless jobs. So to me, it's like not just UBI and all that stuff, but it's how do we give people these sources of like meaning purposeful ambition like purpose in life etc if it doesn't come from the work necessarily the work they're doing or whatever else is going on in their life like we need to spend a lot of time thinking about that besides just like hey there are no jobs here's some cash Yes. And I do think that that's a really good point that like UBI in and of itself isn't the fix because like there is a valid point of like, well, then people are just going to sit at home all day. I don't think that's the case, especially for people that are struggling to make ends meet. But yes, it's like both UBI so that people have the time, energy and resources to use their more like creative instincts and venues for people to express those creative instincts. Um, the other way to think about it is I'm going to forget the name of the um, crap. What was the program after the Great Depression? Like the Great Works and Arts program? Give me a fact check, uh, Stephen Peterson, while I continue. But after the Great Great Depression, there was like this huge government funded program that helped people get into jobs, but they didn't have them do bullshit work at a computer. They had them build trails and maintain parks and build sculptures and do murals on the side of buildings and like make all of these cool public use spaces. And then they paid them to do it. Those people had a lot of richness and meaning. That is so different than telling somebody to get a job at like, you know, uh, a fast food establishment when a robot could probably do the work. Fact checked here. It was, uh, FDR's Works Progress Administration. I was close. I said great works in art, I think. Yeah, which was, of course, part of his New Deal, which was exactly, as you said, that carried out public 
public works projects and they spent you know billions of dollars to be able to put people back to work doing some meaningful things right can i say another magic wand thing if we're doing magic wand time we got to pay the teachers more i know i said this on a prior podcast but we really do it's nuts um you know think about it like this if all the mckinsey consultants and i used to be one investment bankers and podcasters disappeared nobody would notice perhaps life would even be a little bit better whereas if all the teachers disappeared it would be total chaos yet the income is completely inverse to the value that they provide to society and i get the point about scarcity and rarity but you know what i actually think a good teacher is probably more scarce than a good consultant and the reason that we don't get good teachers or at least enough good teachers is because we don't pay teachers enough and that's probably why all the good teachers that are listening entertain thoughts about quitting teaching more than one should have to. Well, this is a, you know, this is a good tangent because <laughs> I agree with you, obviously. I mean, I'm biased. My wife is a teacher. Right. But, She's like sugar mama. So you <laughs> so, want her to get paid more. You know, pay, pay more so that I can keep recording these podcasts. Um, but if you look at all the countries that do very well in terms of education in their in their country compared to the U.S., um, they almost all have higher pay, but also higher value of teachers. Meaning, teaching is seen as like a more prestigious, you know, profession. And I think it's not just money, but in the U S for whatever reason, we have this like idea that since we all made it through middle school and high school and remember a teaching, a teacher teaching that is relatively simple because we saw it done to us. And I think in jobs where it jobs where we can, we, we have this sense of, Oh yeah, I know how that works. We tend to value it less and have, in the US for whatever reason, even though behind the scenes, there's like, you know, all the stuff that goes into a good teacher that Joe on or Susie on the street is completely oblivious to. So I'm not sure how we how we fix that problem. But it's it's one of the, you know, many that we have, but I'm I'm with you 100% pay teachers more. Yeah. And then we want to have ambitious like to tie it to our topic, we want to have ambitious teachers. Um, and, and so on and so forth. And maybe not only pay them more, but also like, you know, it's mind boggling to me that teachers don't have higher status in society, but we're not going to fix all of these problems. So here's what we'll say if you are listening. The first thing is that if you are consuming a lot of this anti-ambition, anti-excellence content, and you're a little bit wary about it, know you're not alone. We are too. There are very real problems and a lot could be better in the workforce and a lot could be better in our lives and a lot could be better with our motivation. But to blame like the desire for excellence or achievement doesn't make that much sense because we need excellent in achievement. We need it to make our lives meaningful. We need it to make progress and innovation in society. So rather than think about the problem being one's ambition, perhaps your own ambition, Consider the problem being, are you spending too much of your time doing bullshit work, judging yourselves against bullshit metrics, 
or doing stuff that is peripheral to the actual task that is draining and tiresome because it feels like you're on this personality or performance marketplace instead of doing the actual work itself. And if you can solve for those three things, and if you're fortunate enough to be able to solve for those three things, then I think we're going to give you permission to be as driven, as ambitious as you want. Don't cheat. Don't cheat. Love it. No, I think that's a good way to kind of summarize this episode up is if you satisfy those those items, those needs, be as ambitious as you want. And then, as we've talked about in a couple episodes ago, if you have that super ambition, then you're just looking for the flip side of that, which is the don't cheat, but which really comes from this like obsession, which comes from the thing no longer being the thing, and instead the outcome or success or whatever have you starts to take over from doing the work. And I wish people could just find a middle way. Like I'm going to paint in broad strokes here, but like I keep having this imagery in my mind. It's an insight into how my crazy mind works during, of this conversation of like, on the one hand, you have all the anti-ambition people, right? And you got all like these people in tech just laughing at them and being like, screw these assholes. Like we're going to build awesome stuff and sell it and innovate. And I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But then you got all these tech people that like they go from San Francisco to Austin to now Spokane, and they basically just trash these places and then move on. Again, I'm painting in broad strokes. This isn't everyone. But like trash these places and then move on to the next one. And that's not good either. And I freaking wish that like we could have a mentality that is non-dual or that holds both of these kind of ideas of like drive and progress and forward with like sustainability and caring. And you mentioned Joseph Campbell, like the great thinker of mythology. It's like father-son is all about like masculine energy and push and build, but just don't destroy shit. And then Mother Earth is all about like caring and sustaining, but don't give up on ambition and innovation. And like, can we please just have the, the, you know, the sun and the earth working together? And then I think that the world would just be such a better place. So that is my, that is my parting hope. Good luck with that. That's don't all. come to Asheville. Asheville's terrible. If you're in, if you're if you want to come to Asheville as your stop, the the hiking trails are overrated. There's no airport. You can't get anywhere. The food sucks. You know, you don't like me. Wait till you meet the people in Asheville. These people are terrible. So if you're listening and you're thinking about fleeing Austin or Spokane or wherever, you know, Asheville is a terrible place. Um, so I'd stay away. All right. You heard it from Brad. You know, I I think I think a large part of this comes down to that non-dual thinking, which we've had an episode on, so I don't want to belabor the point, but it happens so often. And I'm reminded, you know, a recent example of a scientist like talking about, you know, aging and if someone tells you you can't do this or you're declining when you're age, like you shouldn't listen to them and blah blah blah. But that reminded me of this concept that you just we just talked about here, which is this non-dualistic thinking in the sense that with aging, there's a degree of it's not let's be blissfully unaware and think that we can cure it. It's also not saying like, hey, let's be doom and gloom of like, hey, I'm getting older and I'm going to die. It's like that middle round of that middle road of acknowledging reality with a glimmer of like hope, which to me is like, okay, 
I'll use running. I'll use a running metaphor here because that's all I do. But or analogy is that I'm going to get slower as I age. I'm going to lose my speed. I'm going to run my miles slower, all that stuff. That's that's fine. I should accept that. I shouldn't be delusional and think that 60-year-old Steve is going to run as fast as 25-year-old Steve. But at the same point, I can be optimistic in the sense that I can slow down that that, you know, that that slowdown essentially. I can maintain my speed a little bit as I go. Or if I want to, I can maintain the ability to keep going on runs, which is maybe what it's all about. Well, giving up this idea that, oh, I need to run fast or what have you. So a little bit of this, like, where do we go on this ambition or what have you is like, again, embracing this non-dualistic thinking and really getting to, I think, like acceptance and finding that middle path much like ancient wisdom tells us to do. Yes, love it. Um, if you want to like really go deep on these topics, because we are kind of ambitious ourselves, and you haven't yet read or listened to our books, um, this is the question that we wrestle with all the time: is like, how do you both be content and want to get better at the same time? How do you strive skillfully? If you have read our books. Um, that, well, even if you haven't read our books, then, you know, I think one of the best thinkers on this is the humanistic, I was going to say psychologist, but really polymath Eric Fromm. And so much of his work was around like a more grounded kind of striving that is both better for the person and better for the world. Um, so check out some of Eric Fromm's stuff in particular to have or to be the art of loving a sane society and escape from freedom are all just great deep books trying to get to this non-dual nature of, yes, we need to care. We need to take care of things. We need to slow down. We need to be, but we also need to push and strive for excellence and use our creative instincts. And as I think Steve and I are trying to point out, unfortunately, it seems like in the discourse right now, there's a lot of it's this or that it's one side or the other. Uh, and there's not a lot of both. So to the teachers, the writers, the scientists, um, the coaches, the parents, even the consultants and investment bankers that may be listening, like try to hold that line of doing both. Uh, it'll be better for your own health and better for the health of your community and the world too. Thanks for listening to the Growth Equation podcast. Learn more about our work and find show notes at our website, www.thegrowtheq.com. Follow us on Twitter, at B. Stahlberg and at Steve Magnus. And if you like what you listen to, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast, as this goes a long way in helping it reach others.